So here about, oh, I don't know, I guess it was Valentine's Day actually, so not too awful long ago we had the opportunity um, to spend some time with some of our favorite little bitty people, and that is uh, we, we got to babysit for the Pollock boys, if you all, and Carly as well, the three of them, if, uh, if you guys know Stephen, and we uh, took them to just a little, little dinner, but also part of that was that the boys had recently celebrated a birthday. And so, you know, we always we were like, well, we want to do something special for them. So we decided we'd go to dinner, and then we'd take them to Five Below, because how much better does it get for a little kid than to go to Five Below, right? And so we did that and uh, had a great time, which, by the way, we decided to let them choose where to go for dinner. And the choice was Burger King. And, and I found out later why the choice is Burger King, and that is because Mama refuses to go to Burger King, and so they said, we want to go to Burger King, which we did. Uh, I'll, just, I'll not provide any more commentary on that, but we did go, and so we're shopping with the kids and, and uh, just having a, having a good time with them. And so Sean takes little Carly, and they go off to the uh, one section of the store, and I take the boys, and it's like, this is our guy time, right? And I tell them, you know, y'all can... Uh, get three things for your birthday, whatever you want, uh, just go have fun and pick stuff out and that'll be your birthday present from us. So they did and we come back to the line and we get back in line and Sean just looks at me like I have lost my mind because the boys are carrying the things that they picked out from Five Below. Each of them had a set of boxing gloves that were like this big, Right. <laughs> One of them had a set of plastic nunchucks, and Sean just looks at me like, what are you doing? And so I'm just thinking, you know, they're boys. I mean, I'm just, I, I mean, in my defense, I did tell them you can't punch each other, at least until you get home. Then you, you know, you can go at it then, but on my watch, you can't hit each other. And so anyway, I, I thought about that today because I thought, you know, maybe that wasn't such a good thing because I was setting them up for a fight. I hope today that I'm not setting you up for a fight, but we're about to jump into a theological, uh, very, very uh, challenging topic. And we're going to talk a little bit today about this question. Do we choose Jesus or does he choose us? Or another way, we're, we're going to talk about election. We're going to talk some about free will, some of those kinds of things. We're going to dive into a lot of scripture, which by the way, Lynn, would you do me a favor? I realize my Bible I left sitting on my desk, if you wouldn't mind grabbing that for me, uh, because I know we've got a lot of scripture we're going to turn to, and I realize I left that behind. Um, but I, I, I do want us to kind of just dive into this topic head first and just see what scripture has to say and we're going to turn to a lot of, of different passages, but I want us to start in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you'll open your Bible uh, with me to Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6, and this is kind of our, our main passage, but we are going to jump around to a lot of different ones as well. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So that, that passage makes it pretty clear, doesn't it, that God chooses us. So now that we've answered that question, we can stop right here and go home and we'll be all good, right? Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, you're so good. Thank you, this one, actually. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so, so, I mean, 
question solved, answered. I, I got to tell you, I joke about that. There was a part of me on Wednesday morning as I'm weeding through the theology of all this and just thinking, how in the world do you adequately cover a topic like this in one message where I wanted to quit right here? I'll just be honest. Uh, but there's so much that, that we can jump into. And let me just say on the front end as we dive into this passage and into some other passages. If you don't agree with everything that, that I say today, that's fine. If you don't agree with everything when it comes to this topic that others in your connect group believe, that's okay. It really is. This is not one of those topics where if we disagree here, we can't have fellowship. This is not one of those core. I mean, there are certain core things about who Jesus is and our salvation being by grace through faith. And that alone is the way to God. I mean, there are certain things that we don't budge on, right? But the understanding of what exactly are we talking about when God is chosen and the elect and all that, just a little warning on the front end. That, my other thought on that is, and we'll come back to this on the back end a little bit as well, let's just maintain a posture of humility as we go through this because the goal is to let Scripture speak for itself. But the Bible has a lot to say and a lot to say about this topic, way, way, way more than we could cover in just you know, one message together. Nor do we have the ability to completely and adequately understand all of Scripture that there is. I mean, I, I've studied the Bible a lot. I have a PhD from a fairly prestigious seminary, and I will tell you, there is so much that I don't know. And, and there's so much that I'm still growing in and learning. And, and so I think to come at it from that perspective is important. Uh, but at the same time, we should not back away from this topic. We shouldn't shy away and say, well, it's too big for us. We'll never fully understand it, so let's just not talk about it. That's not the approach either. So we're going to dive in and just talk about you know, what, what can we learn? What are some things that we can be real confident in? Because Scripture makes it really clear. And in this passage, it doesn't use the term, by the way, uh, the elect, but it does talk about those who are chosen. He says that he chose us, verse 4, in him before the creation of the world. So it's the same idea, the same same. Uh, basic uh, uh, theological um, issue that we're talking about here. So let's start with this. Here's some things that we do know from this passage. Number one, we know that we were chosen in Christ because it just says that straight up. You were chosen in him. That word chosen means to, to select or to choose out of. It's speaking of a highly deliberate choice. Reminds me of my childhood growing up. One of the things that I love to do, some of you may know this, I, I love to play basketball as a kid. Saturday mornings, I would go to the local rec center. Even when I'm 13, 14 years old, they start at 9 o'clock, but you got to get there earlier than that if you want to get And so I'm up early on for a Saturday morning for a kid that age that's pretty early. But because I love basketball, I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I'm getting up, I'm going. And normally there's more than 10 guys, more than can play in the first game, that are there. And so you have to hope that you get chosen in order to play. Now, as a 13, 14-year-old, the likelihood, when most of the people that I'm playing with are grown men, the likelihood of a young boy like that getting chosen is not very high. Every once in a while, maybe it's somebody that I knew, maybe it's somebody that took pity on me. I don't know what the reason was, but every once in a while, I would be chosen. And when I was, it was so validating because I thought, I am being chosen because someone believes what I believe, and that is that I'm good enough to play with these older guys. When the Bible tells us that we have been chosen in Christ. Let's be really clear that it is not saying that God is, is choosing us because we're good enough. That's not the point. Uh, the, the point is that we were chosen in Christ. That Christ is the one who is good enough. 
It's in him that we are chosen. Now, we should still be thrilled that we are chosen by God. But we are chosen in him, not based on our own worthiness. And we know that because it says that we were chosen before the world was even created. Did you catch that? I mean, is that like, let that just blow your mind for a minute. To think God chose you before the world was ever created. Oh, wow. How do we wrap our minds around that truth? But what it does tell us is, if that's true, if we were chosen before we were ever created, then certainly his choosing had nothing to do with our own merits. And so that's the second thing that we can see and, and be confident in is, is that we were not chosen based on our own merit. God chose us before the world ever was created in Christ. And he chose us on the merits of Christ, not on our own. I like what Charles Spurgeon said on this topic. He said, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born because he surely would not have afterwards. And I think all of us can probably relate to that a bit. It is not based on what we do or us being good enough. And one of the reasons that this, this doctrine of election is important is because it reminds us that, it's, that our salvation is not based on our own worthiness. And we need to be reminded of that regularly because we slip into that performance mentality. The Bible tells us very clearly that, that what we deserve, the wages of our sin is death, that our, our sinfulness and our rebellion toward God separates us from a God who is holy. The only way for us to be made right is through the merits of Christ because Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He shed his blood to cover the sinfulness that, that, that is who we are. And so in him, we become the righteousness of God. It's only through him and, and, and what he offers. And then this, this idea of you know, God's selecting, it uses the word in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So God adopts us into his family when we uh, receive him, when we place our trust in Jesus and his death on our behalf, his resurrection from the death. It, it says that, that we are adopted. And let's just be as clear as we possibly can be and just say, once again, our adoption is not based on our worthiness. It's based on God's choosing. Just as adoption is today. I mean, we think about how adoption works today. It says that we were adopted into God's family. Now, the purpose of that, it says, in love we were predestined. For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You see, the, once that happens, then the result of that is, because we are loved by God, because we are adopted and brought into his family, then we become more like our father. We, we begin to take on those characteristics, but that's not what causes him to choose us. That is what happens once we begin to walk with him in faith. And so... Election means that we are chosen in Christ. It means that God's choosing has nothing to do with our own merits. But then there's one more thing that I see in this passage that's really important. And that is that we were chosen, it says, by God's will and for his glory. And it even uses a little phrase. Did you notice the phrase there when it says that God chooses us for his pleasure? In other words, God desires a relationship with you. Isn't that remarkable to think about, that, that truth? God chooses us for his pleasure. He wants relationship with us. He, he doesn't put up with you. 
He desires you. He chooses you. He, 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 he finds pleasure in that relationship. He doesn't need us. God does not need a relationship with us, but he desires a relationship with us. And so that's why he chooses to adopt us into his family. Just as a family who adopts chooses to bring a child into their family. You know, there can be unplanned pregnancies, but there is no such thing as an unplanned adoption, right? That never happens. Adoption is intentional. It never occurs apart from the will of the parents. And so by, by, by saying that we are adopted, it's saying that this has been God's plan, that God's desire is, it is God's will to bring us into his family. And that's what makes adoption so special for us spiritually, but even speaking in earthly terms, that's what makes it special, is that God chooses us. He wants us into, uh, to be a part of his family. And I just want to remind you of that today, that God loves you and he chooses you and he desires to have you in his family. But one of the things that, that, that should happen as a result of our discussion and our grappling with this whole thing, does God choose us, do we choose him? It should put more attention and more of the spotlight on God. It should increase our gratitude for the fact that God chooses us and desires us um, see, I, I come from a background that uh, has a, a really strong emphasis on things like missions and evangelism. And this was, especially in seminary, and this was just really drilled in my head of the importance of us sharing, sharing the gospel and going and telling the good news. And guys, I believe that with every ounce of my being. And you've heard me say that. There's something that I really want to see our church grow in the area of, of just sharing the good news um, whenever we have opportunity to do that. That's really, really, really important to me. But here's the danger of that mindset. The danger of that is that we can then begin to place so much emphasis on our responsibility to tell. And we can place so much emphasis on the responsibility of the individual to respond to the gospel. That we sometimes, maybe unintentionally, take the spotlight off of God. And it becomes all about us or it becomes all about you need to choose to, to trust in Christ. And we forget that the gospel message is about Jesus, not about us. Now, I don't think we do that on purpose. But that's one of the benefits of coming back to this type of a weighty theological issue is that, okay, it kind of reshifts the spotlight to say, let's remember the focus should be on God and on his choosing of us. 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us, you know, that, that it is important for us to go. It is important for us to tell. You know, and, and it calls us Christ ambassadors. It says, as though God were making his appeal through us. I think about verses like Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And so, yes, it's important for us to share the good news. But it's also important to remember that the focus is on him and on what he has done for us. Does that make sense? Um, that, that, that's one of the, the benefits, I think, that comes out of talking about something like this. And so, yeah, I think this may be one of the reasons for what I perceive as a renewed emphasis. Uh, you'll hear a lot of different terms, by the way, if you're not familiar with these things. Sometimes you'll hear a term Reformed theology. You'll hear about Calvinistic theology that, that tends to focus more on uh, you know, things like election and predestination and those kinds of things. So th there seems to be a resurgence of that. And I think part of that is a reaction to too much emphasis being placed on the responsibility of the individual. And as we'll talk about in a minute, I think sometimes we tend to say, okay, there needs to be a shift. And we, 
you know, go to complete opposite extremes. And as is often the case, I tend to find myself somewhere in the middle uh, balancing some of the tension of that. But here's where, where I begin to struggle with just every bit of par- part of the, the doctrine that is, that is taught, Calvinistic doctrine, is um, if you're familiar with, there's a little acrostic called tulip. If you've heard that before, if not, go look it up later. I'm not going to spend the time right now. But one of those, the L stands for uh, something called limited atonement. And essentially what that teaches is that Jesus died on the cross only for the elect. Jesus died for those that God had chosen, those that are not part of the elect, that Christ. It was a limited atonement. And I read an article on that, and I will say it was based on Scripture and the the uh, reasoning behind it, I think, is made sense to me. And I'm like, I can see where they're coming to that conclusion. But even still, after reading, I was like, I disagree with that. Um, because of verses like 1 John 2, 2, which says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I mean, I take that phrase, for the sins of the whole world, at face value, to mean that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And so he died to become an atonement for our sins, but that becomes effective in our lives only at the point that we trust in him. So it's not that Jesus died for everyone and so everybody is saved and everyone's going to heaven. That's clearly not what the Bible teaches. But at the same time, I don't believe that Jesus died only for some and not for others. Verses like we read last week, I believe it was, when we were in John chapter 1, Verse 12, where it says, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is where we begin to have some of the tension, right? Clearly, as we've established Ephesians 1, and we could look at plenty of other passages that we just don't have time to get into now. Clearly, God chooses us. Okay, God, the, the, this biblical doctrine of election, I don't know how you get away from that. But at the same time, there is a responsibility on our part to respond, that we have to receive him. So God chooses and we choose. I think it really is both. But the emphasis should be more on what God does than on, on, on what we do. Um, but you know, I, 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 I struggle with the, this idea of limited atonement and believing that, that Christ you know, died for some but not for others. Uh, that some are just predestined to hell while others are predestined to heaven and that the individual doesn't have any choice. And, and, and the reason I struggle with that is not because God can't do that. I mean, God is sovereign and God can do what God wants to do. I don't have an issue with that. But I look at uh, even conversations that Jesus had um, in addition to what we see, you know, people like Peter and Paul and the, the appeals that they're making to people to respond to the gospel. But I think about uh, even Jesus in his conversation with the rich young man. You remember that sometimes we call him the rich young ruler, however you want to phrase that. But this guy came to Jesus and uh, he, he was asking him basically, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, you know, obey the commandments. I've done all these. Back and forth they go. And you get to the end, and, and Jesus is, I think, really trying to get at the heart of the issue. And he says, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And he says, and then this little phrase that, that he says, come and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. Well, the response to that, Matthew 19, verse 22 through 26, says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, 
but with God all things are possible. See, I read this passage and I see both divine election and human choice in this passage because I see that, that Jesus uh, speaks here to divine election when he says it's impossible for people to be saved on their own, right? It's not something that you can just kind of make happen. I mean, God has to initiate this and God has to be the one drawing us to himself. But at the same time, I see here, this is an example of Jesus extending an invitation. He said to this guy, come follow me. And essentially the guy said no. Now my question is, if this was predetermined and if Jesus, he was not one of the elect and Jesus didn't die for him, why did Jesus invite him to come and be his follower? Was this just kind of a token thing just to make a point? Was he messing with the guy a little bit, knowing that he had no opportunity to respond in a positive way? I mean, are you following me? I, I read this, I'm like, no, I believe this was a genuine invitation that Jesus gave, come follow me, and he didn't. Just as many people uh, are, are given the invitation by God, come and follow me, and they respond, no. Um, and, and I don't see that as being God's rejection of that individual. I see that as that individual rejecting God. And so when it comes to this issue, who chooses who, it's God is the one who does the choosing, but we must respond to that. We, we have to uh, respond in some way to, uh, to, to that, that call that, that God is putting on us. And I read other passages, uh, especially in the early church, and uh, Acts chapter 2 comes to mind when Peter is preaching, verse 28, or excuse me, 38 and 39, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Notice that last little phrase there. So again, I see both. It's got to be God's calling, but he's also saying, but you have a response. So people ask the question, by the way, right before this, what do we do? What should our response be? Peter preached the gospel. He talked about the death and the, the resurrection of Jesus, and the people are like, How, what, what do we do? And Jesus said, you need to repent and be baptized, which was part of the expression of faith. But they, they had responsibility. They had to do something. But at the same time, he says, all the Lord our God will call. And so it's both. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So we don't come to Christ on our own desire. He draws us to him. That's election. But at the same time, these passages that, that we're reading are saying, but we must choose to respond. You see, there's another uh, uh, theological teaching in Calvinism, and that it, it's called irresistible grace. The idea that, that God draws us, and that if, if you're chosen, if you're elect, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to be drawn into a relationship with him. And I struggle with that one, too, based on what I see here of, of even Jesus saying, come after me, come follow me, and people saying no. So I do think we have a responsibility here, and, and, and maybe we you know, kind of wrestle with how do these two fit together. But somehow in God's economy, divine election and human free will both live in perfect harmony together. Again, to quote Charles Spurgeon, someone once asked him how he reconciled God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and he said, I never try to reconcile friends. They're both in the Bible. That's a good, that's a good response. It's a good answer. They're both 
in the Bible. We can't get away from it. It gets a little uncomfortable for us at times because we like things to fit in neat little categories, don't we? We want to say, I am this. I fit in this little box over here. And yet, there are so many times where there is this tension of, well, I see the Scripture speaks to this, and I see the Scripture speaks to this, and these two feel to me like they're somewhat contradictory, but somehow they're not. Somehow they're both true, and, and they both coexist. Both of them. Divine election, absolutely. The emphasis should be on God. God is the one who draws. God is the one who, who gets the credit. We don't take any credit for our salvation. God even gives us faith to respond. But at the same time, we have to be open to that and receive that. And, and, and there is a choice, I believe, that we make to respond in faith. That's why throughout even the Old Testament, New Testament, you see God saying things to his own children, to the elect, by the way. Things like, if you will follow me, this is how I will bless you. But... If you turn away from me and you follow these foreign gods, this is how I will punish you. And it's like, choose. You remember the Joshua 24, the famous passage. Uh, so many people, we have this up, I think, somewhere in our home. And so many of you do. Uh, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. All of that came from Joshua saying, you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to serve the gods of your, uh, of your fathers and of the other people and the Amorites and all these? Or are you going to serve the Lord? And then it ends with, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? But choose. You have to make up your mind. You have to decide who you are going to follow. And so the conclusion that I come to when wrestling with this topic is that, th that there is a tension and, and we need to be okay living with that tension, which, by the way, is the way we grow stronger. I mean, the way the body, the way muscles, everything gets stronger when it's placed under tension. And so that should help us to grow in our faith. It shouldn't cause us to question our faith. It should stress us to the point of growing in our faith. But if you feel a little bit overwhelmed by this topic, you think, man, I'm not sure. Maybe you're going to walk away saying, I'm more confused now than I was when I first came in. Um, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's okay. Just continue to work on it. Continue to chew on it. Continue to discuss it. But then let me suggest three things real quickly, just practical takeaways, okay? Because I know this has been a very heavy message today, but here are three things that we can take away. And I've kind of touched on these already, but I want to come back to them. One is this. Actually, four things. Sorry, I said three. There's four. One is maintain unity with others who disagree with your position. I started with that. I'm going to end with that because that needs to be emphasized again if there is someone who does not agree with your position on this topic maintain unity and by the way don't be so arrogant as to think that you have all the answers and nobody else does number two share your faith boldly and regularly wherever you find yourself on this spectrum okay the Bible is extremely clear that we are called to share the good news, that we are Christ's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us. So whether your view is God's already decided who's saved and, and, and it's going to happen, if that's your view, then share your faith with confidence because you know that if the person needs to respond, they will. But that does not take away your responsibility to share your faith. If you land more on the other side and kind of kind of wear that responsibility of, oh my goodness, I've got to share my faith because if I don't, somebody's going to go to hell or they're not going to respond. Well, there's a part of that that, is, that I actually agree with, but we have to be careful not to wear that burden so much that it becomes all about us. 
You see, God is the one who draws people to himself. He's the one who, who is responsible for whether a person decides to follow him or not. It's not on your shoulders. And so maybe take a little breath and give yourself a little bit of a break there to realize that, yeah, it's important, but you don't have to carry that weight on your own. Third reminder, and this kind of ties into the first one about unity, but let me just remind you once again to stay humble. The Bible is a massive book with truths that are deeper than we will ever fully exhaust. We should try. We should dive in. We should learn. We should study. We should stretch ourselves. We should have conversations with one another where we push each other and grow. But we maintain humility throughout that process. We maintain that humility and realize you know, some of the things that I am absolutely convinced are true may not be. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am off here. As long as, we're basing, but as long as we're basing our beliefs on our understanding of Scripture. Okay, that's the key. It's not, well, I just don't feel this is right. Or this, you know, based on how I understand Scripture, this is the conclusion that I'm coming to. But at the same time, I'm going to be humble enough to recognize, yeah, it's possible that I don't see the whole picture. I could be wrong here. And then one last reminder and this one I just hope to encourage you with as we wrap things up. Can I just remind you again? God chooses you. God chooses you. Now, if you find yourself in a place where you have not yet responded to God's drawing of you, and, and you can sense that, and you know, maybe some of you just feel it right now. It's like, man, I know that, that God desires a relationship with me. I can sense that. Um, but you've never come to a point of surrender. you never come to a point of saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to give my heart to you. I'm going to trust you. And I want to encourage you to let today be that day that you say yes, knowing that he chooses you. But also want to remind those of you that have a relationship with Christ. Can I just tell you again, that's because God has chosen you. I mean, yes, he gets the credit for that. But it also says he wants you. It says that you are valuable. If you've ever felt worthless, if you've ever felt like nobody really wants me or nobody really desires relationship with me, if you've been told that before in your life or maybe if it's just the voices inside your head that are telling you you're not worth anything, I just want to remind you today, God says otherwise. God says, I choose you. I want you. I am adopting you into my family. And there's a lot of peace that comes from knowing that God chooses and desires us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you choose us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you desire us. Lord, there, there's no doubt that it's not because of anything that causes us to be desirable. But Lord, I thank you that, that you love us and, and draw us into relationship with yourself anyway. And so Lord, just give us peace. Let us rest in that. I pray that there is great encouragement that comes as we just kind of wrestle with this and, and remind ourselves that, that you've chosen us. And Lord, my prayer is that we just respond to that in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.